0: This is episode number 10 of the podcast method. I am Dan Benjamin. Today's Friday, April 24th, 2015. But that doesn't matter. The date doesn't matter. And I'll tell you why it doesn't really matter. Because hopefully this show is one that isn't so uh, isn't so tied to this specific date. I do a daily show. It's called the Dan Benjamin Hour, and it it loses its value. I mean, hopefully it's still entertaining. But it loses its value pretty quickly. A lot of daily shows, a lot of news shows, even weekly news shows, lose their value once uh, the date has gone by. In other words, if you do a show on Monday morning and you're covering the news that happened since Friday and over the weekend, uh, it might still be relevant Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday, maybe even a week later. But. It's not going to have that much value in the following weeks or months that comes. I mean, that's pretty obvious when you think about it. The newsy kind of shows have that shorter lifespan. But there are other shows that we do as podcasters that we hope have a much longer lifespan. Shows that tell a story, like Serial, is the obvious example of that. But also shows like Hypercritical that John Syracuse and I did, where John uh, really picks apart a particular topic. Uh, the the one that I always like to point to is the one he did on game controllers. You know that show is still going to be relevant. Uh, for a very long, long time, as long as there are or were game controllers and an awareness of them. You know, that's a pretty specific topic, but John was a great host and he sure knew how to pull a topic like that apart and get to the root of it. Other shows uh, where there's a lot more analysis and really great discussion or where the topics are not so timely Things like productivity uh, is a really good example of this. And hopefully a show like this where we're talking about the way that we make things or things that inspire us or interviews with people where they're talking about a part of their life or their work or something that they do. Shows like that generally tend to stick around uh, for a lot longer and keep their value. The reason that I mention this today is I'm, I'm listening back to these shows that I've done. And in in doing so, I've kind of seen that that there are really those two different big categories of shows. And I get a lot of questions from people who ask me, what kind of show should I do? Should I keep it to one topic? Should I cover lots of topics? How broad should I make it? How specific should I make it? I don't really know the answer to any of those questions. But the the thing that occurs to me is, If you know the longevity of your show, that really will help when it comes to planning your show and thinking about what you want the content to be for that specific show. Is this content that someone's gonna listen to and then essentially throw away? Or is this the kind of thing that will have that really long legs? uh, Something that is, I hate the term, but they use it all the time, evergreen content. You know, it's something that you can keep in mind. I love making a show every day. The Dan Benjamin Hour for me is a huge challenge because I'm very aware that people who listen to it, uh, that it's not as great as I want the show to be, as awesome as I want the show to be. It's only going to be awesome really for a little while compared to, you know, I don't know, an episode of Back to Work that I do with Merlin Mann. That show, because we talk about topics that are broader, about, you know— being being more effective uh, he doesn't like to call it a productivity show but in a lot of ways it does help people with productivity the things that we discuss are valid i think and true today and they hopefully will be in in years to come and one of the things that makes me really happy is whenever i get an email or a tweet from somebody where they say oh i'm listening to your whole back catalog i love the back catalog i went back i i started with episode 120 and i'm going back to the beginning and listening and they're really great shows that makes me very, very happy, uh, and I know that not every show will be useful in that way for people, uh, and that's okay. I think as long as you're aware of the kind of content that you're creating, then you know what? That's, that's okay. You just keep it in mind. There is a show that I did called The Pipeline, and I did it for, uh, for many years, and I am going to be relaunching that show because I just love those one-on-one interviews. I've learned so much. That was like the first show I ever did on 5 by 5 And I've learned so much since then. I remember doing that show and interviewing the different people. I interviewed Merlin Mann. I interviewed John Syracuse. I interviewed Andy Anotko. Uh all of the the hosts that I wound up later doing like big shows with uh they started with an interview on that show. It was just a lot of fun doing it. And I found that this was a great way to talk to people and to really understand them was by interviewing them. Interview shows, though, are so challenging to do, and especially for people like me who I, I really care if I'm doing a good job, and I really want to know how the show is performing. I think a lot about building the audience and about bringing in an audience, and it's funny. I remember a conversation I had with my granddad when I was uh, maybe in high school. Man, I used to be so into The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and Letterman, and I used to watch these shows all the time and I remember talking to him and he watched them too. And I said, you know, I really love shows where I, I know the guest because I can look forward to the guest being on the show and, and I know it's going to be a great interview. And he said, you know, I like those. He said, but I, I like shows even more when I don't know who, who he's going to be interviewing, when I don't know anything about the person he's going to have on as a guest. And I said, why? He said, because that's how I learned something new. And it it woke me up because in my mind, at least at that time, my, uh, you know, my, my 16, 17-year-old self, I was just struck by that. And I said, you know, I usually like would tune out on the guests that I wasn't that interested in. And I would really tune in for my my favorite guests or my favorite movie stars or rock stars or whoever they would have on those shows, comedians. And I really picked something up. And that is... You know, if you're open-minded, and if you're a fan of the person who's doing the interview, or you like the way the the interview style is, or the format of the show, then you're really going to be uh, keyed in to to the show and to what's going on with it. So, I think that a good interviewer isn't necessarily. Uh, someone who is necessarily completely unbiased, at least not in, in the entertainment kind of an interview. You want the interviewer to have a personality. You want the interviewer to ask questions that come from that interviewer's perspective. That's, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say gonzo journalism where you make yourself part of the interview in such an intense way. But for me, like any interviewer, the interviewer isn't, Uh, isn't expressing their personality and making it a fun conversational thing. I mean, that's why Mark Maron's show is so successful because you tune in for him just as much as the guest. So when people ask me about interview shows, how can I make my interview show uh, more interesting? Well, the answer is put yourself into the show the way that you would if you were talking to your friend. Interject your own personality. Don't dominate. Step back, ask questions that are thought-provoking, but don't be afraid to be you, you know? That's why people are gonna tune in again and again and again. So often when uh, we've had interview shows as a part of 5 by 5 or we've sold or tried to sell spots for interview shows and we just see their numbers being so low consistently week after week and, and not really growing and then they get a big guest, oh, and now that show is gonna get tens of thousands of downloads, but then the people don't come back. That's the challenge with an interview show is is building an audience regardless of who the guest is. That is done by you and and you getting people who are you become your listeners and your fans and they say, "You know what? I I don't really care who Dan is in. My, what my grandfather said, I don't care who Dan's interviewing. I like Dan, I like what he the people that he interviews. I tune in because I like that show Dan interviewing somebody or you interviewing somebody." So, that's kind of my answer to, to that bigger, broader question that I've been asked so many times. Uh, later on in the show today, I've got a friend of mine, Jordan Cooper, who does a few podcasts. A couple of them are on 5 by 5 He is uh, really, really good at what he does for a living, and that is he helps companies uh, market themselves and, and build, uh, build an audience, build a customer base. Well, people have asked me time and time again one question – How do I grow my audience? How do I grow my audience? And my answer has typically been, well, you grow your audience by making content and quality that's so good that people will have to pay attention to it. And you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and eventually people show up and the audience grows and grows. And it might be one listener a week, might be 10 listeners, it might be 100,000 listeners a week, right? We can hope. But uh, there are other ways to do it. You can actually market your podcast. You can actually, the same way that if you had a product or a service and you wanted to get the word out, you could spend money and advertise for it. So that's what I'm going to be talking uh, with Jordan Cooper a little bit later on in the show. But before we do that, I wanted to make a little announcement. I made this announcement on Twitter uh, late last night, and, uh, and I wanted to elaborate on it a little bit. Because I think it's something that that you guys are going to like. I'm very, very excited about it. And what that is, is over the last, I started podcasting in 2006. I had a little show called the Hive Logic Radio Show. I used to do a site called Hive Logic. I've talked about it before. Uh, Really geeky stuff like how to compile MySQL on a Mac and get Apache running and set up and com- install Rails and things like that. And, and I used to occasionally do just longer sort of pieces, opinion things and fun things like that. And I wrote that site for a while. And so when I started a podcast, I called it Hive Logic Radio. And I did interviews and it was a really fun thing to do back before podcasting was really anything, before iTunes even supported podcasting. And I really enjoyed it. 2009 started 5 by 5 went full-time with it. And since... Really, since I started, I've built a lot of tools. I've built a lot of tech. I've built a lot of infrastructure. And I've also learned a lot. Well, a lot of what I've learned I'm sharing here on this show. I'm telling you about it. Uh, I've been working on a really cool – what I hope is a really cool video series that I'm going to be putting out there, uh, starting out with the Patreon supporters, the people who uh, who support this show and, and the stuff that I do. They'll get it first, but eventually it will they'll, they'll, be out there for everyone. But I really haven't released a lot of the technology, the code, the software, uh, whether that's in the form of a service that someone could sign up for and use or just open sourcing it. And I made a decision recently, and I kind of announced it last night, that I'm going to start doing that over the next uh, month or two. Really taking the stuff that I've built uh, that really we've been the only ones using and opening that up so that anybody uh, who wants to can use it in one form or another. And that's because I really want everybody who, who's serious about podcasting, I want to help eliminate those obstacles that, uh, that are there that get in the way. You know, one of the reasons that I like using uh, Mac OS is because it gets out of the way as much as possible. It used to do that better than it does now. Different show, different topic, but it's a tool that gets out of the way things that just work, you don't notice, right? But there are so many things in podcasting. Yes, there are lots of easy ways to get your podcast out there, but there are so many little tiny details or components or software platforms that, that they don't exist. Or if they exist, they're not great or they're written by people who aren't podcasters themselves. I'll tell you what, uh, host a, or run, run a podcast network, for five or six years, you will learn. You will make every mistake, or at least I have. I don't want you to make those mistakes. I want to take every single thing that I've learned and built and give it to you, and at least make it possible for you to use it. And whether that is in the form of hey, like for example, we're going to be open sourcing our iOS app. This is an app that we use. That uh, we're working on a new version that'll that'll work a little bit better in iOS eight, and it'll work really nicely on. Uh, the iPhone six and the six plus and things like that. But it's essentially the same app that we have now, which is you can listen to our streams live. Well, that whole infrastructure and the iOS app, that is something that I believe everybody shouldn't have. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you could take your own app and release it and people could just stream your stuff with it? Like, I really want to get that out there and there's no reason to hold this close and, you know, keep our, our, uh, our cards hidden. There's no reason to do that. This is stuff everybody should have. So I'm going to be doing that. But I also want to put out tutorials on how we do the live streaming because although it's it's not hard to do, it's very tricky. The whole podcast hosting platform, everything that we do there with like automatically adding the art and title and description into the uh, MP3 files and putting it out there and having multiple hosts and, and essentially having a website and a CDN and all of that we're going to release that in probably as a, as a hosted thing, uh, feed layer, the tracking system we use, we're going to open that up. I'm doing all of this because these are the hard parts. In my opinion, these are the hard parts when it comes to, uh, to putting a show out there. And for people who are serious about it, I want there to be a, an answer. I want there to be a solution that they can say, yeah, there's this thing. I can use that. And right now, in a lot of ways, there really aren't. So I'm hopeful that doing this, it's gonna be a lot of extra work for me to do it. But I'm really hopeful that it will pay off not just for me but for you guys who uh, who who really I think could could use it. So if that's interesting to you, if you want me to do it, I mean, I'm doing it anyway, but I would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, which things are are the problems that are the hardest to solve. Tell me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter, and I would love to get your take on that, which I should come up with first, what you're looking for. All of that feedback is incredibly important and valuable to me. So thanks, uh, thanks to everybody who's going to do that. Uh, It means a lot, and I really want to get this uh, out there as soon as possible. So your feedback is going to help me do that too. I want to say thanks to a sponsor today. Uh, My sponsor is Lynda, L-Y-N-D-A, Lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses that will help you strengthen all of these skills that you can use, a lot of them podcast-related. I went through and looked, and they have a handful of really useful videos, you get access to all 3,000 of them, by the way. And if you use uh, my code uh, and URL, you will get access that will last 10 days for free to all of these great videos. So it's lynda.com slash podcast method, lynda.com slash podcast method. And here's some you could start out with audio recording techniques, audio mastering techniques, foundations of audio EQ and filters, music production secrets. Now, don't be fooled, there's a lot you can learn there that, that applies to podcasting. Logic Pro 10 Essential Training, Pro Tools 11 Essential Training, Podcasting with GarageBand 3, they're all in there, and you're gonna get access to all of them for free for 10 days. Think about what you could learn in 10 days. lynda.com slash podcast method, thanks to them for making the show possible. So, one of the, uh, one of the questions that has been asked here how do you manage a rundown or show notes for each episode any examples you could share This was asked by uh Lions and Beta Now I touched on this topic in the past and this specific question in the past but I uh, I have been privy to new new information new things have come to light as we say and what I mean by that is I have been a guest on a number of other shows recently uh and I've gotten to see how they you do their show notes as well and how they do their pre-show stuff as well. And it's very similar to how we do it. And so the information that I'm going to be sharing, it's totally cool. It's not secret stuff. They share it with me when they invite me on a show and I share it with my guests when I have them on a show. And basically, here's, here's the way to do it. In the exact format i don 't think really matters, but you go and you make uh, google docs Google spreadsheet specifically is i think the best way to do this because most everybody can use Google. Uh, spreadsheets, Google Docs pretty easily. If they don't already have a Gmail or Google Apps account, it's easy to make one. You can get invited into this. And then basically you you're on board and what they do is their show notes is they'll put the different segments of the show or the different topics of the show and they'll do different columns. So on the left they might say, you know, news for today and they'll have the news stories. And then they'll have a different column for each of the different hosts where they can go in and put in their comment or they can make a little note or they can put in a URL. So that it becomes kind of a collaborative document. So on that on that first column, you might have uh, those those particular topics or links or stories. So that the people who are going to be guests on the show aren't coming in cold. Like, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. No, they do know. They see the ten links of the day, or they see the news stories of the day. They even can see the sponsors. So if they have something to add, if they you know, if I had a guest on this show and they had something to say about Linda. Well, they could jump right in because they know Linda's going to be the sponsor. Or they could say, oh, you know what? I just watched on Linda and I saw this cool video about Excel. I didn't know you could do whatever. They can add to it. It's about including the hosts of the show so that they know what to expect so they're not taken uh, by surprise for it. So really something as simple as that, like a, a – a show with one column on the left showing the different topics or the different links, and then another column for each of the hosts where they can go in and put in their questions or their thoughts, little things like that. So that they're not taken by surprise. That's the main thing. Now, a lot of the time when I do interviews and like I said, I'm, I'm bringing back the pipeline because that was a show that I just so enjoyed. I do not, I do not give them a list of questions ahead of time. I do not share that. And Most guests, especially guests that are used to kind of being interviewed on shows like big names, they will ask for that ahead of time. And I say, I don't do that because I generally don't. This is weird for me and I don't recommend this, but I generally don't have a list of prepared questions because I want it to feel like a conversation. I will do research on the person that I'm going to be interviewing. Absolutely. I will make notes About that, And if there are certain things that that are topics, I will make notes of those topics. So I might come into it with an outline, but generally I don't share the outline because those are my personal notes that I'm using as a background to do a good interview. I don't like asking specific questions. I like it to come naturally out of the conversation. I don't like knowing where the conversation is going to go. That keeps me on my toes. That's another reason why I love to stream shows live. It keeps me on my toes. It keeps me focused. It keeps me paying attention. And it adds that element, uh, a little bit of mystery. I mean, look, some of the best comedians in the world came out of improv where they they might know, okay, you run a store, this other person's your customer, go. Like, that's so fun. And people who do that well, they're going to kill it. They are going to kill it as opposed to people I think who have rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. Both can be good, but for me, it's that spontaneity that that I find really interesting. That takes a lot of practice, I think. But there's only one way to do it, and that is do it. Show up and do it. A friend of mine is going to be doing a new show and he keeps doing these rehearsals of the shows. I'm like, stop doing these rehearsals. He's like, Well, we're recording them. We might release them later. I don't know. We think I'm like, listen. You're not, you're not going (laughs) to record. You're not going to use these things later. Just go and start doing the show and put it out there. Well, we want it to be perfect. We want it to be just, don't worry about it being perfect. Just get out there and start doing it. Start doing it because that's what's the most important thing. Look, I'm doing a show. I think I mentioned this here before. I'm doing a show with my son. He's seven years old. And ahead of time, we'll come up with a few topics that, that uh, we want to cover on the show. And I'll read them back. I'll say, okay, man, you told me you wanted to talk about this. What do you want to talk about? And he'll just start talking about it. Now, that's easy for a seven-year-old. They love to talk. But there is an aspect of that, being a kid, that I think you can you can uh, connect with. And that makes your show so much more natural. Anytime I'm on a show that feels regimented and segmented, and first we do this, and then we do... I don't know. I don't enjoy that. I just don't. I love the natural flow of a conversation. So... That's my two cents. Okay, here's a question by Selgart on Twitter. Selgart, how do you deal with ads on a new podcast? Do you just not have any in the beginning and then start them up down the road or do you offer them for next to nothing in the beginning and then increase rates as things go along and you start building an audience? I had a great conversation just yesterday uh, for minimum downloads for a sponsor. I was talking to one of the biggest sponsors in out there. And I said, what is the minimum number of downloads that you look for to sponsor a podcast today, 2015? They said 50,000. They do not want to even talk to a, a podcast that has less than 50,000 downloads. That is a huge, huge number of downloads. If you're tra- And when they say downloads, they mean, and I've said this before, they mean unique downloads, individual downloads. Okay, so you have to take into consideration things like range requests and and all of that stuff. But if you're using something like Libsyn or PodTrack or if you're using FeedLayer already, which is my thing, then, you know, those are accurate, true numbers that represent individual downloads. There's we can't tell the difference if you download the show on Overcast on your phone and also in iTunes on your computer. We can't we can't tell that that's not the same human being doing that download. Those are two separate downloads, but that's okay. We still count those. But I'm talking about individual downloads to a to a machine, to a phone, whatever. 50,000. They want 50,000. They don't want to talk to you. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, my show gets 1,200 downloads. I was pretty happy about it until I heard that number. That's the truth. And more and more, the big sponsors, the ones who spend real money to sponsor podcasts, that's what they're looking for. So, what do you do? Well, that's where a that is the value of a podcast network these days because uh, it, it used you know obviously there's infrastructure you get that you get people helping sell things and and this is how they're helping. They might be able to say, well, I've got a combination of five shows, each of which gets ten thousand downloads. Hey, that's fifty thousand. Would you buy this package of five shows at fifty thousand downloads? That sponsor might say, yeah, okay, we'll do that. They're all in the same space. Well, let's, let's do it and let's see how that works. They're more willing to do that if your show is part of a network. So that's a compelling reason, I think, to, to be part of a podcast network. But there is, uh, you know, more and more, like the bigger shows, the shows that are in that range, 40, 50, 60,000 downloads, it, once you get to that point, there are a whole lot of reasons why you could say to yourself, you know what, this show, maybe it's graduating out of a network. Maybe it doesn't need to be in a network anymore. I think the value of networks is strongest for those small shows that are up and coming that have to learn the ropes. And again, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I see at least my podcast network as being more like an incubator, being more like a uh, a record label in that You have an artist, the artist starts out, they go with the record label, they get their album out there, it does well, they do another album, it does well, then they say, you know what, I'm going to go and do my own record label, or I'm going to go and partner with this other person that I met in the industry, and I'm going to be on their label. That kind of stuff happens all the time in the record label. It happens all the time with podcast networks. People want to make this such a dramatic thing. Why did this show leave that network? Oh, something terrible must've happened. Well, Why did this show get canceled? And why did they go over here? And what happened? But a lot of the time people just want to try something new. They just want to experiment. They've been one place. They want to try it some other place. I think it's, you know, it's a natural thing for people to want to change. Why is it so weird? look, I'm a huge fan of OMG Chat. He's he's so much fun. I just had him on the Dan Benjamin Hour earlier, and uh, and he's just he's so much fun to talk to. He does really cool stuff with Minecraft, and he was on the Gizwiz, uh, this show that was on Twit for a long time. Twit just canceled the show. Why did Twit cancel the show? Is are, are the people at Twit evil? No, they didn't perform for whatever expectations they had for it. It didn't perform. Or maybe they're changing the focus. They don't want to cover that kind of topic anymore. Okay. Like, there's probably no drama there. People want to make drama where there just isn't drama. Yeah, sometimes there can be drama, believe me. But a lot of the time, there really isn't. A lot of the time, people just want to try something different or they want to change. Or the network that they were on has a different focus than it used to have or a different vibe than it used to have. That's not a bad thing. Everything changes. How many different jobs have you had? in the last five years? Maybe you've had one job, maybe two, maybe five, maybe more. Why would you be expected to stay in one place? How many places have you lived in the last five years? You know, a show can join a network and be there for a few years and say, cool, that was fun. I want to try something new. Nothing wrong with that. Or I want to go independent. Nothing wrong with that. I will tell you, It is tougher than it has ever been to get sponsors. A lot of people say, Dan, don't talk about sponsors, so I won't talk about it too much. But it it is tougher than ever to get a sponsor these days. They're looking for big shows. They're looking for shows with a big return for them. They've got CPA-focused, cost-per-acquisition-focused. It it takes a lot, and it's going to be harder and harder for the smaller shows to get sponsors. And I don't really know what the answer is for that. I really don't know. I don't know if we're going to wind up having commercials on podcasts. I don't know if it's going to uh, hamper the growth of podcasts. I really don't know. And I hope it doesn't. And that's part of why I want to get all my stuff out there to make it just take, take those obstacles away. If there's one obstacle, let it be getting a sponsor, not how do I get a show out there? Now, here's a technical tip that I thought of that I really wanted to talk about because we're talking about shows joining networks, leaving networks, going independent. Don't you hate it when you're subscribed to a show or when somebody's subscribed to your show and you want to change something? Like, let's say uh, a show joins network A and they're there for a while and then they want to go to network B or they want to go independent. And they do. And then they're like, sorry, everybody, I know you just had to download all 250 of our episodes all over again because, yeah, the URLs changed and we had a redirect thing and it didn't work right. And ooh, sorry about that. Or all of a sudden a show after they make the move doesn't update anymore. That's bad too, right? You know, you, you, you want to keep your listeners and subscribers and you want to let them know. So here's some tips on how to make that kind of transition, whether it's uh, to a network or away from a network or to independent, there are basically three three aspects of this that you need to know. The first aspect is uh, you are going to need to do a redirect. So things that can help with this, there are different uh, feed management uh, we used to all use feed burner. And then Feed Burner kind of went away. But there's Feed Press. There's other things out there that you can look up where you kind of have your feed in one place and it allows you to sort of redirect it to other places. If you've already got that in place, that's fine. A lot of people don't. So, what you wind up needing to do is you need to do a redirect. This is usually a 301 redirect if you want to Google that. I'll put, uh, I'm making a note for myself to. Uh, to put that into the show notes for the three hundred one redirect and how that works, but basically this is something that happens on the web server wherever it is that you are hosting your stuff and if if you 're not in direct control of the web server, usually there is something uh, similar that you can do in the application itself. If you're hosting it with a WordPress or Squarespace or something else like that, there's usually a means that allow you to do this kind of a redirect. But basically what happens is all of the podcast clients, the, um, the apps, whether it's iTunes or the thing on your Android or our iPhone, those are communicating with your server and they're downloading the RSS feed for your show. iTunes as a whole does this too. They're all connecting and saying, are there any new shows? What you're doing is you're putting this statement in there that says, don't look here anymore. I want to redirect you over to this new place. That's where you're going to go and get the RSS feed from now on. Don't look here. Look there. Boom. Redirect. Get out. That's what it does. And it sends them away, and then they start going to this new place. There's also a way to do this within your iTunes, uh, within the feed itself. There is a... a statement that you can make in the RSS, which is XML to tell iTunes there is a new location, but do a three Oh one redirect. It's better. There are people who say, Oh, well, that doesn't work consistently for me. Uh, certain podcast clients don't listen. They today, they pretty much all listen to that three Oh one redirect. And that's a way to transition it. I actually did this a bunch of times recently with the Dan Benjamin hour. The, that show is not a huge show. And so I've, and, and it's also my own show. So it was only going to hurt me if I made a mistake. But I actually redirected it and moved things around. And downloads were not affected in any way. Uh, didn't lose any subscribers. Ha- did not have a single person say what happened to the show or I couldn't download this. Why? Because of the second uh, trick I'm going to tell you. And that is something called Gwids. Uh, I think that everybody who is a podcaster uh, needs to know what a GWID is. And it's unfortunate that uh, we need to know what a GWID is. And these are the kinds of things I want to make that you you know, when I was a kid growing up and I was like 15 years old I was in like shop class. Like, you had to know how to change the oil on your car. You didn't have to, but it sure helped to know. Like, here's where the oil filter is. Here's how to, you know, put the air filter in. Here's the kind of oil you use. Here's the oil pan. Crawl under the car. Like, that was the kind of stuff that a lot of us, especially guys back in the, in the 80s, we, you know, we learned how to do that kind of thing. And nowadays, I would not even try to change the oil in my car, my car from Japan. I wouldn't even know how to do it. And I don't want to know how to do it. I just drive it to the service center, it's there, it's done, an hour later, I'm gone. That's the kind of problems that we need solved. But until they're all solved, you have to know what a GUID is. So let me tell you what a GUID is, and I'll tell you why you need to know. GUID is an acronym for globally unique ID or identifier. There's also, you might have heard the term UUID, universally unique identifier. Typically, this is a 128-bit integer number used to identify a resource. It doesn't have to be that. But how does this apply to podcasting? It sounds like a programming thing. Well, it is a programming thing, but here's how it applies to your RSS feed. Every single one of your shows, if you ever look at a podcasting RSS feed, you are going to see a tag that says GUID. And next to it, you may also see, is permalink equals false? False. What does all that mean? Well, every episode that you make of your show and every episode of every show has to have a unique identifier. Your GUID is usually going to be a URL. If it's not, the is permalink false is going to be in there saying this is not a URL, this is just a, a some kind of identifier. So uh, the, the GUID might be for example, for this show, the GUID might be htgb colon slash slash 5 by 5tv slash podcast method slash 10. That's a perfectly valid GUID. I would have is permalink not set to false. I would just, that wouldn't be there. Well, I'm not typing this in manually. I suppose you could if you're a geek and you like to type in your RSS feed manually, but most software that generates An RSS feed, again, whether it's Squarespace or WordPress or some custom thing that that you've built uh, or Drupal or whatever you're using to host, it's going to generate this RSS feed and it's probably going to take the URL of your show for that specific episode and put that in as the GUID. Nothing wrong with that. You could also have just a, a few words in there as long as these words are unique. Uh, then it's fine to have words in there. You can have a number. You can have a string of 128-bit integer number. Whatever it is that you want to have in there, it's going to be generated. But this is where you can run into trouble because let's say there's a show on 5x5 that decides it wants to go independent. Those GUIDs are going to be set up for each of those episodes. So what do you do? You say, well, we're leaving 5x5. Sayonara, dude. And you go and you set up, okay, we've got our own brand new website over here. We've got our software over here. And you know what? We've taken the show and now it, the name of the show is the domain and we're going to start putting all the, you know, we're taking the, sh- the show information out of 5 by 5 CMS and we're putting it over here into, into our own CMS and you put it all in and you launch it and you check your RSS feed and it validates and it's perfect and you subscribe to it in iTunes and on your favorite podcatcher and it works and everything's like, great, flip the switch guys and you put the redirect in just like Dan said to do and all of a sudden everyone just re-downloaded 200 episodes. Why? Because the GUIDs changed. It's that simple. The GUIDs are what tell those podcast clients, you have seen this show before or you have not seen this show or the episode rather. You have not seen this episode before. It's that simple. If the GUIDs change, it's a new episode. So even though to you, it's episode 10 of podcast method, to you, to the clients that are downloading this, it might be episode 10. They don't care. It's some new episode. Of the same show because there is a different GUID. Why wouldn't it keep the old GUIDs? Because you would need to tell the software what the old GUID was and to use that instead of whatever new GUID. Typically, that is not a provision that is built into any podcasting software. It's built into the CMS that I wrote because I've had to deal with this. I've had to deal with shows joining Five by Five and leaving Five by Five, and. That's the only way that you can ensure that. So what would you do? You would say, okay, well, that GWID, 5x5.tv podcast method slash 10, that GWID has to be preserved. So if I were to move podcast method to its own website, take it off of 5 by 5 move it to its own website, I would need to copy those GWIDs just as they were. And I would need to put them into the feed and make sure that those for at least all of the existing shows, that those stayed the same. Does that make sense? I hope, I'm, I hope I'm explaining this okay. From newer shows that you do, once they're on that new domain or part of that new network, those GUIDs can be whatever you want. But as long as you're preserving those old GUIDs and you can see what they are in the existing RSS feed, you just look at the RSS feed or you look at, at whatever the GUID is if the CMS or, or software lets you see that, you just preserve them. So when you're making that transition, you have to preserve them. Otherwise, you're going to run into trouble. How do I know this? I've done it wrong so many times. I've seen other people doing it wrong. I've talked to the folks at iTunes about it. I've talked to the people who make pretty much all of the podcast clients and I spent, you know, 15 years doing software development. That's how I know it. Trust me on this. Keep the GUIDs. Keep them. Then you will never have this problem. Like I said, I've experimented with this with a couple of smaller shows on 5 by 5 Never had a single problem because I kept the GUIDs. You can too. Very important to do it. Uh, and, and hopefully some of the systems that, that help make this transition possible will, will pick up on this. Uh, but that is a, a, big, a big secret and something that you just need to do. The third piece is the iTunes piece. And this is also a bit tricky because you can't really do this on your own. You need the help of iTunes. So if you, so let's say you have, you have a show and the show is independent. And you're going to be joining a network. A lot of the networks are are kind of connected to iTunes and they have some kind of iTunes management tool. It's a secret tool that iTunes will give you once you're, you are doing a certain number of shows or once you're, you're a big deal enough in the number of shows that you do. They will give you this management tool that's kind of like their own admin tool for people with lots of shows. It lets you add shows, remove shows, update shows and feeds and things like that. And it also has really cool stats But most people won't get to use that. But here's something that you need to know is that uh, if you don't have access to that, you need to contact the iTunes folks and email them and say, hey, I've joined this network or I've left this network. They can then magically behind the scenes decouple your podcast from a network or add it to another network. They will do this step and they're the only ones that can do it. Otherwise, your podcast might show up in the wrong place. It, it's all kind of very confusing, uh, but, but don't worry. There is, there is a solution, but it involves asking the nice people at, at iTunes uh, for help. So that's that third piece of making that kind of transition. I feel that this is a complicated enough topic that it could be like a write-up. So if you, if you feel like I didn't explain it well or you zoned out uh, or this is too geeky for you, let me know, and I will do a little write up about it. Uh, I'm happy to do that if enough people think it's it's worth it Michelle tam uh Nam nom paleo she's awesome by the way says what's the best day or time to post a podcast so that is a good question. When is the best time uh, I have found uh, and I've been really, really trying to get answers uh, for this. I have found that it varies based on the kind of show it is. Uh, When I started doing Dan Benjamin Hour, it was a, you know, I'm doing it five days a week and I do it most mornings at uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time. I record it, I'm done at 12, I edit it and I release it almost as, as soon as I possibly can. So usually by the middle of the day, it's there. My thought was people would download it maybe during the day on their phones or whatever and they'd listen to it on the drive home. But, and that does happen. I think that's about half of the audience, about half which is cool, that's neat. But the other half is listening to it the next morning as they're going to work. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's not exactly what I expected. I thought they would listen to it on the, the ride home, but they're not, they're listening to it the next day. I said, okay, what about the Friday show then? What would happen with the Friday show? I thought, you know what? No one's gonna listen to the Friday show. If they're not listening to it on their ride home, they're not gonna listen to it at all. Boy, was I wrong. The Friday show gets at least 50% more, if not twice as many downloads as the, uh, the other shows happening all week long. That was amazing to me. And I thought, why? It's because more people have time for it on the weekends, I guess. They're home over the weekends. They want to listen to something. They'll download the show. They'll listen to the show. So what I've actually started doing, no offense to my guests Monday through Thursday, but I've tried to stack really awesome content on Fridays. And you know what's happened? Those download numbers have gone up even more. And the download numbers for the week have gone up even more because people are more willing to listen to it uh, on Fridays or over the weekends when they've got more time or when they're a little bit bored. Listen, think about who my audience is. It's a geeky show. There are a lot of geeks, you know, Geeks want to listen to stuff. So I give it to them and they listen to it on the weekends. So does that mean that a show that comes out on a Friday is going to have more downloads? No, I don't think that it will. I don't actually think that the day or time that a show comes out, it matters as much as I used to think it does. I will tell you Mondays are a bad day to release in my personal experience with shows It doesn't mean don't release a show on Monday. It doesn't mean if you release a show on Monday that it won't get as many downloads. If it's a good show, people will download it and listen. But what I'm saying is that our Monday shows have fewer downloads typically than shows that happen on other days of the week. I think people are just so inundated on Mondays that they're just not willing to try something new or do something else, or they're so focused on just getting their week started. So I would, I am not saying avoid Mondays, but, Consider that if you are deciding what day to come out with, uh, with a show. Monday might not be the best day. Here's a question asked by KTFIN on Twitter. If you happen to be in the same location as a guest, is it better to try and set up an interview in person as opposed to doing it over Skype? Yes, 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 yes. Always avoid doing anything remotely whenever possible. Skype is the go-to solution for pretty much everybody. It's not great. There's much worse out there, but it's the best thing we've got. But when you are not in person with somebody, you lose that dynamic that you have of having a a, a very natural conversation. I feel like you always have a better conversation when you're in in person with somebody. You just do. It's just more natural. I love in-person conversations, but... Skype is the answer when you're not there in the same location. If you are, though, take advantage of it because you can read people's facial expressions. And yes, you can do video Skype with people and you can see it that way. But in person, it's just instantaneous. Also, you can eliminate a lot of the problems that they might have with their own setup by providing them with a really good setup. Go out and get, you know, get a product that has two microphone ports on it. Plug in two microphones, sit far away from the other person so you can still see them, wave across the table, and talk and just sit down and talk to the other person. You will find that it is a much more natural flow of a conversation. It just makes for a really great interview. It makes for a really great setup, and, uh, and I, I think it's absolutely worth the expense of getting a two-microphone setup uh, for uh, 100% worth it. The last question uh, I'll take today before I get to to Jordan and talking about uh, promoting and growing your audience is how many shows, and and this was asked by F6X, how many shows should we record before posting them? Should we build in some evergreen episodes? Back to what I was talking to about my friend, you know, there is the philosophy of just getting it out there. I love that philosophy, but there is also the concept of building a, a season, doing a podcast by season. We're going to do, for example, 10 episodes or 12 or five, whatever it is. But we have this arc and we're going to build and we're going to release them and then we're going to take a month off and we're going to do it again. That's for experienced people generally. That's for people who come from maybe a radio background, for example, an NPR type background or who come from a writing background as opposed to people who are in the broadcast journalism field where content is delivered every day. Think about your favorite radio hosts, right? Whoever they are, whether they're someone in talking in sports or just shock jock stuff or politics, they show up every day and they talk every day and it's their job. So should you hold back episodes? Should you build that season? I think it's going to be based on what kind of show that you're wanting to do. For example, If you're doing a show where you're going to be talking about your favorite movies, do you need to come out with one of those every single week? Do you need to record one every single week? Or could you record 10 episodes and release them week after week for 10 weeks? Yeah, you can totally do that. Then in that case, it might make sense to do something like that, to produce them all, to get consistent content, or to start recording them all. And then once you've got 10 in the can, start editing them and come out this one this week, then I'm editing the next, then I'm editing the next. You have to find the workflow that works for you. You've got to be comfortable with it. You've got to be able to, uh, to, to get that content out there in a way that isn't too taxing on your schedule, and if that means holding some back or re- recording three or four in a row and getting them out there, then that's fine. What you don't want to do is try to record an episode that's timely in any way and hold it back. Again, I'll point to my daily show. If I don't do an episode in the right time on that day, if it winds up something happened during the day, I had to pick up my kid from school because he was sick or something like that, and I don't get to record the show, the sponsors will get angry, the listeners will get angry, but you know what? I'm not gonna do two shows the next day for a show like that. It just doesn't make sense. You can do a makeup episode, but a show like that, people wanna hear it every day. It's better to, I know this goes against my other advice, but like, it's almost better to just miss a day and not do it if that happens, as opposed to, you know, holding it back and releasing it, it won't be timely anymore. But if you're not doing a timely show, if you're not doing a news show, you're doing a a, a creative content show, I'll call it, then absolutely, yes, it's okay to hold some back release, uh release in a season-type format. Now, before we get to Jordan, I would like to thank my second sponsor. It is Harry's. Have you ever uh, asked yourself, when, why did shaving and when did shaving get so expensive? Have you ever priced, like go into the grocery store or Target or something and you see the prices of razors and you're like, How, these things are little pieces of metal. How are they so expensive? How many more gimmicks are they going to add? Well, Harry's was started by two guys who are passionate about creating a better shaving experience for all men. You know what? Women like these razors too. I've had a lot of women contact me and say, Dan, don't say that they're just for men. I'm a woman, I love these razors. Women do love these razors. They're the highest quality blades and they actually, Harry's went and bought a blade factory in Germany that was making these blades for like a century. They cut out the middleman and you get this awesome shave at a fraction of the price of the drugstore brands. Their starter kits, there's 15 bucks. This includes this really nice razor, like old fashioned, awesome razor, three blades and you get either the shave cream or the foaming gel. And you're gonna get five bucks off your first purchase if you use the code podcast method, all one word podcast method. So go to Harry's, H A R R Y S, Harry's.com, coupon code podcast method, and save five bucks off that starter set and start shaving smarter today. Really great product, really cool folks. Go check them out, Harry's.com. Now we're going to get started with Jordan Cooper. Jordan, again, has a number of shows on 5x5, and he has been doing shows on his own for a while. The shows that you can check out are at 5x5.tv slash TDB. That is his tech douchebag show. And uh, we are also a distributor for his other show, The Morning Dump, which is at 5x5.tv slash dump AM. You can check those two shows out. They're great. Hey, Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, one of the things that you and I have talked about offline, which is the big question this week, is how do you like promote your show? How do you bring it to a bigger audience? How do you get it noticed? And you have uh, you have found an answer to this. When people ask me, I give them this uh, kind of uh, answer of uh, just keep doing great work and eventually people will notice it. And that's true to a certain extent, right? But you you have some other ways of doing this, of actually – actively promoting the show and it sounds like you've tried a lot of things and some have worked and some haven't so maybe you can tell us about that
1: well uh i mean i i always come from the the school of thought of the two-pronged way of promoting and this is this comes after obviously good content right like there's the, i mean that's a, you i have a crappy show how do i get more people to listen <laughs> all, all, all you're doing is exposing it to people that go wow this is a really bad show yeah but doesn't really do you much uh but the the two the, the two top ways is the same ways that any other business promotes themselves by be either being part of the community combined with actual paid advertising. And I know I, 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 I may have that, that may be a dirty word to, well, to a lot of uh, the audience of, I have to pay for advertising. Well, can't, I just, th- can't I just
0: tweet every day? This is the thing though, is for a lot of people who don't have a hundred thousand Twitter followers or millions of likes on Facebook, you know, just tweeting about the show isn't really enough, but how are you going to, how are you? So wait, you're telling people who are not yet making any money from their podcast because they don't have enough listeners to do ads or something to spend money. But in the normal business world, of course, that's what you would do. You have a product or service, you've got to advertise it, right? Word of mouth only goes so far.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, that's why the combined effort of building Not necessarily your community, but going to where the communities of people that would resonate with your podcast. So a lot of people, especially since I come from the the comedy world, they go and say, I'm going to start a podcast because every comedian seems to have a podcast. Uh, How do I get people to listen to it? And like they're an unknown comedian. Like they've been doing it for three years and no one knows who they are. Right. The first question I ask is like, what are you interested in? Like even though they may be doing a podcast that's just like them being funny. Like has no niche to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The first question I asked is, uh, you know, what what communities are you part of? And they typically don't even understand what I'm talking about. I'm like, do you do you like cars? Do you like do you? I mean, do you watch a lot of movies? Are you involved in in uh, you know fantasy football? And are you part of forums and Facebook groups like that? And they'll mention a couple of things. I like this. I like that. I kind of participate there. I said that's where you start. They go, well, they're they, they know me as the fantasy football guy. There, I go, yeah, but at least they know you so you could say i have a podcast right. I'm, I'm funny let them know you for something else most people in on on twitter uh, you know they they they've never seen me perform comedy they know right. me as the, the guy that makes snarky tech jokes but it's like i've done comedy for 17 years not having anything to do with tech but i'm a tech geek at heart so if i'm going to do a comedy podcast like i do with the morning dump it's like i'm going to go into the i'm going to embed myself and be part of the community first and then go hey guys that now you now know like and trust me. Over the past two two and a half years, I have this new podcast, and there you go. You get a couple of hundred uh, subscribers immediately, right there to at least start with. Because once you get a, a certain amount of uh, certain amount of listeners, then they could tell their people. Like you know, if you start with six listeners and they tell a friend, and a month later you have twelve listeners, then you have twenty four. Like by the time you get to a year, you're still only at like a hundred listeners. Right. When you start with three hundred. It's, easy, it's much easier to go from 300 to 2,000 than it is to go from 1 to 300.
0: That is a great point. It's that starting, that initial hump of getting over that hump and getting that exposure. You might be doing really, really great work recording the best stuff that you've ever done and and stuff that's, you know, super high quality and you spend time editing it and you prepare for it and you do it. And you're like, well, great, I got 150 listeners. And you say to the listeners, please rate the show on iTunes, you know, please tell your friends, please retweet or tweet about it. And even if, you know, each one of them brings another one or two or three people along, your serious fans, your hardcore fans, will bring a few people, you know, you've gotta you've gotta do more. So the next step is actually spending money and doing real advertising. A friend of mine has a business and he's, uh, he's doing like screencasts. And we were talking about it and he said, you know, like I'm not seeing the kind of growth that I was hoping to see. And I said, well, my first question was, what kind of advertising have you done? He's like, well, I haven't, I haven't done any advertising, just, you know, just the site. And I think there was a while there where just having a website or just tweeting about something was enough. But now with as many podcasts as there are, it's not enough. Right, it's not enough to just tweet about it, like you're saying. It's not enough to just be a member of a community. In many cases, you've you've actually got to go and like shell out money. But this is hard because people are scoffing at spending seventy five bucks to get a decent microphone. Why would they spend seventy five hundred hundreds of dollars? to promote their show when so far they've they've got their preamp, they've got their microphone, they've got some headphones, they've taken the time away from their, you know, their, I was going to say wife, but there's plenty of uh, of uh, women doing podcasts taking time away from their husband, right? There are tons of situations where now they're already taking the time away from their life, doing something that might be just pure fun. Now you're saying you got to spend money too? That seems like a... Crazy. How are they going to justify that?
1: Well, then to stop asking the question like that's that typically that's that that's the correct answer of if you're if you uh, if your question is, how do I make my podcast better? Dan, you you give tips on how to make it better, mm-hmm. such as microphone technique, you know, like the technical stuff. And that's the type of thing that you have to spend money on. If you're if you're recording through an iPhone earbud microphone setup, and you're like, why does my why does my sound suck? You're going to have to spend money on a microphone. Like, then if oh, I don't want to spend money on a microphone, well, then you're going to still have crappy audio. So, I mean, like, the answer to the question is spending money. Right. Regardless of it, like, how do I get more people to listen? And other than embedding yourself in community and actually participating as a human and doing that for a long <laughs> period of time. Well, we want,
0: well, Jordan, we want instant success. Ah, we want instant uh, results. <laughs> I want to show up with episode one of my new show. And have it be a, a, a huge success and have uh, hundreds of thousands of listeners on day one and money coming in. And, but that's not the way it is, right? And I, I know people aren't really necessarily looking for that. The thing that I hear from most people when they ask is, I'd be happy with, you know, with hundreds of listeners, but I can't seem to get past 100 or 150. My response to that has always been, well, that's 150 people who care about what you have to say, that's probably more than the person sitting next to you who has no audience for their show or doesn't even have a show. But I agree with you in that if you're making a show and you're serious about it, then treat it seriously. Treat it the way that you would, you know, if your kid came up to you and said, wow, I I really like, you know, making movies or I really like fossils. My kid's super into fossils. Like, I will take my time out on a weekend to go somewhere and hike on a trail where we might find a fossil. Like I don't know if we're going to find any fossils or not, but it's his interest and I want to support him in that. You've got to support yourself, even if that means spending a little money. There's that stupid old adage, but it's true, like you've got to spend money to make money, right? If nobody is finding out about your show organically. Now, should you, Jordan, should you give it some time first? Should you try tweeting about it first and seeing if it gets picked up in iTunes and, and all this stuff? Should you give it a week or a month or a few months before you start spending money? Is spending money like a, a last ditch effort or is this something you come through the gates? Here's my new show and I'm advertising it and I'm promoting it and I'm tweeting about it. All this at once. Does it matter?
1: Well, that's what I I mean. That's from, from my marketing background. Of course, I've I've all heads up on a lot of podcasters because my my day job is uh, you know SEO and PPC mm-hmm. kind of marketing. So, like, I know how all the platforms work, and a lot of the the uh, the techniques that uh, that people don't even seem to to know exist that allow you to target and use a very small budget. I work with small businesses, mom and pop, brick and mortar, local businesses right. that don't have big budgets. Yeah, like they're, they're the cookie bakery. They're uh, you know, dance studio. Or something, but they're even those places. They're spending a couple of hundred dollars a month. My goal with them is to make sure that they're getting the most the, the most qualified people to see their thing. Yeah, for that small amount of money, and that's how I take it to, to podcasting. So, like me personally, I spend two hundred dollars a month on on pay per click advertising, and I I could afford to spend more, but I don't even like spending money unless I know it's working. So I'd rather have two hundred dollars and. Shift it around and go, okay, this works. This doesn't work. This could be tweaked. I need to split test this thing. Now, you don't have to go. I mean, we could have another episode about more of the technical details behind where to go, what to spend, remarketing, You know, setting up kind of little funnels types of things. But you want to go to the place where you get the cheapest amount of clicks for the most amount. You, 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 don't, you don't care about traffic. You care about qualified people. So the biggest mistake I see people make when it comes to advertising is treating it like it's a display ad, like it's a billboard, like that's what they do on Twitter advertising. I'm going to advertise to everyone. I'm sorry, it, it, that doesn't work.
0: So You're what have wasted a lot of money? What does work? What have you found that works? And what kind of results would be realistic for somebody to anticipate?
1: Okay, here here's here's an example. Do, do it with your industry, whatever podcast that that you have, your mm. you know type of space, whatever it's about. Uh... You want to target the, the lowest hanging fruit. Don't if you if you if you think to yourself, I'm eliminating someone that could be listening to my podcast, that means you're actually doing a good job. So, like, for instance, uh on my my morning dump podcast, which mm-hmm. is a daily podcast, and it's primarily tech news mixed with humor, and it's it's expletive ridden, a lot a lot of curse words, uh, it's gonna tend to be a male audience. So uh, I, I want to advertise only for males. I only want to advertise to 25-year-olds to 54-year-olds because uh, I found that the, the younger audiences uh, are less likely to like my show. Okay? Now, plenty of people may, but I'm, I only have $200 to spend. So I really have to target. I need to make sure that if I'm hitting someone with an ad, that they're most likely going to want to to listen or at least check it out. Uh, I also, like on on most of these platforms, especially Facebook, uh, I only want to advertise on mobile. Why? Because podcasters, especially tech geeky type of podcast listeners, they listen on their phone. A desktop ad, I'm creating too much friction on, now you have to go to your phone to subscribe. Well, I don't want to pay for that click. I'll pay on mobile, where I could put a link that goes directly to my iTunes listing. Because on an iOS device, if you do an iTunes link, It'll open up the podcasts app and you could subscribe and listen immediately right there. So you could actually do that on Facebook or Google AdWords. You could target like I, I only want to advertise uh, and show my ad to people that have uh, 8.3 iOS update. Most likely they're going to be the, uh, the tech geeks yeah. that have upgraded immediately. Like I'm thinking of my audience and going, Who'd, who am I? Who am I? How do I target all the way down? So instead of having an audience size of, that I'm targeting of 6 million people, right. then I have 6,000 people. Because for 6,000 people that are like, these are do they live? I want people that have commutes. So I target Los Angeles, Seattle, uh, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Austin, like the tech hubs, like where startups are and stuff like that. And, uh, and so that really condenses down the size. So for my, for my 200 bu- bucks, I can hit them all. And then see what happens, and then the click the click rate goes down because more people are interested. And then I track everything on the site and see where they clicked, what they did, and uh, and the the second form of that is that uh, you could also put uh, a pixel on your site that will collect uh, information on Facebook, Google, Twitter, all the platforms that uh, that the, the, these are the, these are the ads that people hate because they're typically not done well by right. big companies when they follow you around the web, I was Mm -hmm. looking for furniture and now all the ads show furniture wherever I go. Right. It's that type of thing. But if you're a small time podcaster, like I do this, I I don't get many visits to my website. I get maybe in in a, in a, in a day I'll get 50 to a hundred a day. Uh, you know, maybe 3000 for the month. Uh, and it's a lot of repeat people. But if I put these remarketing pixels on, at least I'm capturing them. Uh, I don't know who they are specifically, But they're now in a custom audience on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google that I could target other things to. So, for instance, if I want to promote a specific uh, episode, I know that those 200 people in my custom audience are people that have visited my website, which means they're most likely listeners or at least know of my show. I could then ask them to rate it. I have an ad on Facebook that anyone that goes to my website, I have an ad that runs only to those people, which means I pay like nothing. Per day because may, I may only get 20 impressions out of it a day that says, I'd love for you to rate the show in iTunes. And obviously, it's only on mobile devices, and it takes you to the podcast app where you rate. It It goes directly to it. and But I'm only targeting people that have gone to my website. I'm not going to tell someone that has never heard of me, doesn't know me from a hole in the wall, to rate my podcast. Them clicking on it, I'm just wasting money. So these are the types of things to think uh, if you're a podcaster in a different type of audience. You know, you're a movie podcaster, a sports podcaster. You do something about, you know, TV show or something. Like if you're a TV show podcaster, that's easy. I mean, if you do a podcast, I do a podcast about uh, Arrow. Like, well, that's really easy on Facebook. You want, (laughs) you could target down to people that just like Arrow. I mean, they're they're your audience. But then also target down to people that are more likely to listen to a podcast on a device advice as a subscriber because getting someone to go to your website and just clicking the play button it's nice right you get them to listen and if they like it they may subscribe but if they're the type of person that's like i don't know how to subscribe to a podcast that may not be the best way to spend your small budget on paid advertising organically that's one thing but there may be more people out there that listen to podcasts regularly right that you don't mind spending the money if you're going to spend money on traffic you want to make sure that you're getting all you can out of it, organic stuff, you know, stuff you write articles on sites or whatever you're tweeting. And it's just, you know, the sweat equity time. You don't mind that. But if you're going to pay, if you're going to pay for someone to come in, you need like a cost per acquisition. And if that cost per acquisition is too high for a podcast listener, then you're, then you're just doing it wrong.
0: So another uh, question I get a lot is from people who are saying, what about actually advertising? Within the medium that I'm creating, in other words, advertising my podcast on someone else's podcast, maybe one that's more successful, maybe one that's bigger, maybe one that's already out there and has an audience. And a good example of that would be like gaming. You could go to let's say you've got a, a really cool show about, you know, video games, but no one's really listening yet. Could you go to a bigger show? You know, Jeff Canada's DLC, for example, and like get a spot on that and promote your own show. Have you tried that? Does that work?
1: Uh, now I, I do media buying for small businesses, so I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Right. Like Dan, like you do Archer Avenue. Right. So like, I'm the person that would talk to you about businesses, you know, like I, I'm the one that talks to like the newspapers for most of these little small businesses. Right. Uh, here's, here's the problem. Here's, it's good news and bad news. I haven't tried it yet only cause like I said, I go with ROI, not with, uh, not with whether or not it, it probably works. It probably, I want to do that. The cost is just too high for a podcast. If you were a business that sells a product, I'd, I'd admit it'd make more sense because if you're still talking, let's say you get a deal and you still, you get, let's say you get $15 CPM. Yeah. Let's just say you, you get a deal really cheap on a show. That's 30,000 an episode. You're still talking about paying $450 for one ad. And with these, with podcast ads, podcast ads are very similar to any type of stream-based advertising, that it's much better done in bulk, which means that uh, it's much better done as a campaign than it's done one time. Yeah. And you, you would know that as someone that takes sponsors on with Archer Avenue, mm-hmm. that it's much more effective that, if even though some listeners what may say to you, I've heard, I've, I've heard Audible. I know, Audible. I know, Squarespace. That's what they're going for. So when you think of "I need to get a website," you've heard squarespace so so off, so often that you go there. So if you advertise on one instead of advertising on one big let's say you have let's say you have two thousand dollars to spend. I'm going to advertise on some podcasts. Uh, it would be much better to advertise uh, and get eight spots on smaller podcasts that are in that niche that a lot of multiple people may be listening to than one spot on the bigger show. I completely much... I
0: completely agree with you and that's something that that uh I've I've experienced firsthand so much we'll have a sponsor come on board and I'm not even talking about necessarily just the the big shows they'll come on and they'll say well we want to get one spot in January and I'll say well, okay well one spot it's probably not going to work like one spot's probably not going to work and then inevitably they'll get the one spot it won't perform the way that they want it to perform and then they won't do anymore. And I'm always trying to explain that, like what you're saying, it is that repetition. You don't want too much repetition, but you want a little bit so that they begin to remember that. You mentioned Squarespace. MailChimp is another one. You know, each and every one of these shows shows that, uh, that, that they're sponsoring, then it kind of becomes part of the canon. You know, I listen to a lot of sports shows and a lot of these sports shows have Papa John's as the sponsor. Well, I don't eat Papa John's. I don't order pizza because I'm like not doing the gluten thing. Fine. But I have that association. And if I was, I would probably order from Papa John's simply because I know that they're supporting this show that I like even if I don't have a coupon or anything, and also because I'm hearing Papa John's, Papa John's, Papa John's instead of Domino's, Domino's, Domino's or whatever, it, that that kind of repetition is important. And I think, but it, go ahead, but
1: but it's not on one podcast. Like the, the the key is so. Let's say you're you're a gaming podcast, like you mentioned uh, as the example, and you listen to other podcasts. I mean, you're a podcaster, so you should you know the what are the popular gaming podcasts that. Uh, Similar people to your podcast would be listening to uh, it, and it happens. In, it happens in the tech space all the time. I listen to a ton of tech podcasts, and if one of them said, "Hey, you should check this company out or this sponsor out or something like that," I would hear it once. But when it gets linked to on a bunch of blogs, like all the t- in all at once, like in one week, like the first time you hear something, even it happens. This is just this is consumer psychology. Like we're talking about behavioral economics, that type of stuff here, that if your friend, if someone, you know, comes up to you and says, you got to see this movie, you go, okay, I'll check it out. But if then a second person comes to you and says, have you seen that movie? Then you start going, maybe I should go see that movie. You understand what I'm saying? So when you when you hear it in multiple places, if you're going to spend your money, you rather not just hear it in one place. I'm going to get the biggest show. They're going to say talk about me once because then people will forget it and go, okay that was a sponsor uh, maybe I'll check it out or not but if you start seeing you know eight podcasts in your niche or a blog I mean it doesn't have to be a podcast it could be you know the blogs that have sponsorships you may get a better rate you could be a big you know you combine it all together you get kind of like a package deal like I'll sponsor your podcast but you also have to put a link here and right. tweet about it as well right so 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 the audience sees it two or three times from different people then they go maybe I should check that out if you just do it once you're really You're really putting all your eggs into one basket and hoping that that, you know, if someone misses that spot like they've missed, they don't even know you exist. Right. Right. If someone skipped over that spot in the podcast or they missed that episode that week or their phone rang in the middle of the episode and they deleted it. I mean, we're not talking we're talking about podcast listeners here. If you have eight different opportunities, if you get the same size audience and they're on, you know, podcasts that have twenty five hundred listeners and not thirty thousand. I'd rather have it on all of them because so what is that like of-
0: what does that mean then for the big shows, the big shows right now that are that are you know right now charging thousands of dollars, many thousands of dollars for one spot, are you saying then you would rather take your thousands of dollars and spend it on you know two, three, four weeks of podcasts spread out more widely? What does that mean then for the big shows in the long run? Does it mean no one's going to sponsor them?
1: No, businesses, the businesses that have a direct financial ROI. I mean, we're talking about you're, 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 you're advertising a podcast, right? So it's like, you're, you're not getting, there's no conversion. There's we're not selling a widget here. So it's really, it just comes down to money. Yeah. Like it's just not worth it for that amount of money. That one time, if you had a budget, if you were independently wealthy and you had a million dollars and said, all I want is people to listen to my podcast, then do, do as much as you want. You could. Feel free to waste as much money as you'd like. You can, you'll end up getting there. But for the bigger, I mean, that's why you have stamps.com and NatureBox and you know, play you know people that that advertise. You know, those are businesses. They, you click on their link, uh, their sponsor link. You go, you buy something. It gets credited to that uh, that podcast, and they go, okay, it's worth advertising on the podcast. But I mean, if you're adver- podcast advertising for a podcast, you have to consider more like brand advertising and right. not like direct marketing,
0: right? Great advice, Jordan. Where can people go if they want to to uh, to get more from you? If they want to hit you up on Twitter, get their personal branding advice from you. Where should they go?
1: Personal branding advice. You don't <laughs> want my personal brand. You don't. At uh, Blender HD on Twitter, and you could listen to my uh, daily podcast full of curse words at Dump
0: Am. Good stuff. Thanks for being here. No problem. And that's about all we have time for. This week, I really appreciate all of your feedback and your ratings on iTunes and everything else. Please do rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way uh, to help me grow uh, this show's audience. So uh, go to iTunes, rate the show, leave a review if you have time. Really appreciate it. If you want to support the show, you listen to the sponsors, but you said, eh, not for me. Cool. That's all right. You can uh, can contribute. Give us a buck. Give us two bucks. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash five by five donate a couple bucks. I sure do appreciate it. And I really appreciate you listening. Thanks. And we'll be back next week with episode 11.